I'm Elena Lansberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move, the podcast that kicks old stereotypes to the curb. Come meet these creative, outrageous, authentic, adventurous, irreverent, and powerful disruptors and influencers. Grandmothers, from the living room to the courtroom, making powerful contributions in every walk of life. We know them most intimately as loving caregivers, the older women in our lives with a thousand stories about their grandchildren and pictures in their purses. In this podcast, you'll come to know even more about our grandmothers. They are galvanized, determined, and are guaranteed to get you thinking. What drives them? What are they up to? What is the potential of grandmother power, and how is it changing the world? Grandmothers are on the move. You don't want to be left behind. Hi, it's Elena. Welcome back to Grandmothers on the Move. Today, I have a very special conversation to share with you, one with Dr. Kristen Hawkes, the profound thinker and originator of the grandmother hypothesis. Grandmothers playing a key role in the evolution and the very existence of our species. I know you'll be absolutely fascinated to hear what she has to say. And there are two versions, two episodes of this conversation. Both you'll find on my website, grandmothersonthemove.com today. One is a shorter, more condensed version around the grandmother hypothesis. And the other, for those of you who are fascinated by anthropology, ethnography, and science, is a much more in-depth conversation where Dr. Kristen Hawkes really elaborates upon a lot of her thinking and the way in which she came to discover this grandmother hypothesis. So without further ado, Dr. Kristen Hawkes and the grandmother hypothesis. Kristen, welcome. It's so lovely to have you with us. Thank you so much. I want to give a little bit of background, but but I can't possibly do it justice. I was looking at your CV and background, and it's pages and pages of the most illustrious and quite extraordinary career around anthropology, ethnography, research. And of course, you are a collaborative scientist at the Division of Psychobiology at the Yerkes National Primate Research Center, and at present, a distinguished professor professor at the Department of Anthropology at the University of Utah. It's absolutely extraordinary to read about how you came to the realization and the hypothesis that grandmothers were playing this key role, not just providing for youngsters, but also this key role in the longevity of the human species and the evolution of the human species. How did you even come to think of this? <laughs> how did it even occur to you? Well, <laughs> can be a long story. I'll try to be quick because it came as an enormous surprise to me. I wasn't looking for it. I did not expect it. When I became an evolutionary biologist, which I didn't start out as, I started out as a sort of garden variety cultural anthropologist and then began to see under some patient teaching by my almost postdoc advisors to teach me some evolutionary biology and realized that there was some tools to understand the sexes and sex differences and understand aging. And I was astonished to think, wow, is that really possible? And the turn to grandmothers as an anthropologist interested in human evolution, I assumed that we knew that the hunting hypothesis was the story of our lineage. It's the one in the textbooks. 
and it's very persuasive. But what happened in our lineage was this ecological change that made hunting a better way to make a living. But if you're a mom with little kids, then being involved in hunting big animals, that's a really tricky trade-off. So the best tactic is to pair with a mate who will hunt and bring home the bacon. And then we get the nuclear family and a whole array of things that we think of as distinctively human. It's really persuasive that hunting was the key to so many things about us that are distinctively human. And I was astonished to discover that, well, yes, men hunt and women gather and so on, but men are preferentially choosing things that don't go mostly to their mates and offspring. So this central challenge, what is that about, made the invitation to go study folks who hunt and gather for a living in East Africa, the Hadza. And that's an especially interesting place because although the only hominines left on the planet are us, modern people, and the Hadza are modern people, but trying to make a living on wild foods, you know, no gardens, no domesticated animals, you know, you can't pop down to the store for, a, I don't know, a jug of milk. You have to figure out how to make a living on the wild food around you. So here are people in an environment where the men are hunting these big animals and everybody's managing to carry on their lives and the kids grow up and carry on and the next generation does well and so they're making it work. How do they do it? Hadza folks were so wonderfully tolerant, letting us just follow them around everywhere and weigh what they got and time how, how long it took to get it and how patterns of life differed by sex and age. And that led to these data showing how actually risky it was to specialize in the big animals because the average hunter only hit a big animal 3.4% of the days. So these guys would go every day, but it was almost a dead cert they'd fail. But when they succeeded, it was this big, enormous pile of meat and people came, everybody came, men, women, and children would come to the kill site. So the focus was really so much on this. And yet we were monitoring how everybody spent their time. I was following women of all ages. And there it was. These old ladies were amazing. They were so incredible at just this persistent digging of these deeply buried tubers and accumulating way more than they could eat, carrying it back. But it also turned out, just coming right out of our data, completely something we had not initially been looking for, was that the kids couldn't really manage to do well enough to feed themselves, so they had to depend on their moms. And we could actually see that. The moms who were spending a little more time, their kids were growing a little better because we were weighing and measuring people. But then when those moms had another baby, well, then she's got this little bundle of joy, right, that's really occupying her and so on. Of course, she's still a working mom. She's still foraging, but having that little one means she's doing a bit less of it. And then the correlation with how well the kids were doing was with their grandmothers. It was right there. <laughs> the trade-off that, of course, we're looking at modern people. We're not looking at the deeper past, but this thing that it was because the productivity of the old women provided a subsidy that made it possible for moms to pack in another kid because the previous one would, would not be toast because grandmother would be subsidizing it. 
when I was reading through the many, many articles that you have written, there were titles to the articles that just leapt off the page at me. There's one that's called Grandmothers and Their Consequences. And then there's another, Increased Longevity Evolves from Grandmothering. And then the last one I want to say, because this is where I want to take us, was genomic evidence to, for the evolution of human postmenopausal longevity. And it seemed to me as I tried to wrap my very inexpert brain around what this was all about, was this extraordinarily interesting conversation and research around postmenopausal life. Because of course, um, in, in every sphere of thinking and intellectual pursuit and academic pursuit, and even in just public discourse, we don't talk about menopause. You rarely, if ever, see it elevated to a level of inquiry that actually is really important in terms of how women and human beings live and continue and what menopause means in the evolution of human beings. It seemed to me that you were saying that menopause and the fact that women were living long beyond menopause, where that was not the case in other species and other mammals, was directly related to this grandmother hypothesis that that was in fact the reason that we did live that long was was because we have this key role in in the longevity of human life and the caretaking and caregiving and providing for human beings. It is so easy to see once we start to put the pieces together. Here is this feature in which our adulthood, for us, for the female side of the story, our adulthood, a big chunk of that is after the end of our fertility. That end of fertility, as we were watching in the case of the Hadza, because those women don't have babies themselves that interfere with their productivity, their productivity then subsidizes the childbearing of the younger women. But the overall, you can sort of think of it as a division of labor between the women who are past their childbearing years and the women who are still in it. It's that extra survival, that post- fertile life stage that accounts for the shorter intervals so moms can pack in more offspring and the consequence is more grandchildren who also have their genes. Those longevity genes, if we can call them that, increase in frequency in future gene pools and longevity increases and we end up at the kind of equilibrium that characterizes us and distinguishes us from the other great apes. And some of the papers that you mentioned are focused on, would that really happen? You have a whole demographic of additional caregivers. It makes perfect sense. Exactly. It makes perfect sense. It makes So it allows there to be more kids. Right. And those kids are carrying those characteristics. And so in the next generation, longevity is a little greater. And so there's a little more help and so on. So yeah, that's how natural selection operates. It's just very cool. <laughs> it's very cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> it really is. So I'm thinking about it from a feminist perspective. Yeah. I was just going to say, if you know anything about evolutionary biology, you cannot not be a feminist. Right. right. Exactly. Right. Part of me loves this so much. I was just talking to a group of Canadian grandmothers who are involved in this Grandmothers to Grandmothers campaign, supporting these remarkable African grandmothers who are raising legions of kids orphaned by Oh, yeah. And yeah. they were actually mentioning the grandmother hypothesis just in our conversation because people hear cool. about it. And it's very exciting because when you think about grandmothers, 
grandmothers. And then there's actually a whole area of research that suggests that yeah. grandmothers are, have played this, this central role. Central, central role. Right. Yeah. The ability of our species to evolve. That's very exciting. Yeah. There are so many ways, though, to tie in pieces of this hypothesis. I, you know, it just continues to surprise me. Oh, good heavens. You mean it, it could illuminate that, too? You know, I keep saying to myself, but among the amazing things that grandmothering, this grandmother hypothesis about this shift in our life history provides illumination about is in every kind of arrangement that we see with humans, we are running this experiment that is so hard on people. This experiment of isolated nuclear families. And I think actually one of the reasons that the hunting hypothesis where we started out is so persuasive is, you know, we're used to mom and dad and the kids and then you close the door and all that stuff happens within that little group and it puts so much pressure on those relationships. Whereas in most of human experience, people, including little kids, they have intimate relations with lots of adults, not just mom and dad. So all of these threads are threads of a story that each one, as you who try to pull it and see where it goes, it's just amazing how often it leads back to grandmothers. <laughs> or maybe True. maybe that's just my obsession. Yeah, <laughs> It's a good one. I share it. When I was looking up the grandmother hypothesis and the grandmother effect, I noticed that it hasn't been without controversy. Right. Well, I'm not a good source for making a persuasive case for the alternatives because, I mean, when we're talking about the grandmother hypothesis, it's a hypothesis. But I would urge everybody that it's really got to be one of the ones that we keep on the table because it continues to be so productive. Okay, so I have one final question, which is, you know, the very phrase, the grandmother hypothesis, and the notion that grandmothers play this critical role is a meaningful one in completely lay terms, right? Because there's mm -hmm. so little recognition in our societies of the critical role of grandmotherhood, and there's not a lot of talk about it, and sometimes it's invisible. You're changing that, Ilana. I hope you so. You are changing that. <laughs> I hope so. I hope I'm contributing to that change with all these grandmothers. And they're changing it too, right? Yeah, they truly are. And yeah. I wonder how you feel. You come from a research background and you have all this extraordinary information and data in your mind, quite separate from all of the information that informs the grandmother hypothesis. Uh, I see it everywhere, Kristen. I see articles about the grandmother hypothesis. I see the phrase being used. And somehow, slowly but surely, it's getting into the social consciousness that there's something that gives visibility and importance to grandmothers, even if we don't know the whole content of it as, as you do. And just in the general discourse, it has deep meaning and influence. It's wonderful to hear. I, of course, maybe we're always like this or some of us more than others. I tend to hear the opposite. I'm in places where other kinds of arguments seem to be holding sway. So really the way in which we, my collaborators and I, have sort of come to all of these pieces is we were gobsmacked by suddenly seeing the productivity of, of these wonderful old Hadza ladies and really they ought to get credit for everything. And then seeing this connection with how important that was when moms had new babies so we could really see the trade-off that probably played such a crucial role. But then when the pennies started to drop, there are places in the literature where people got some of these pieces. They didn't know the things that we know now about how closely we're related to the living great apes and they didn't have this 
and hunter-gatherer ethnography that we have now. But there are really influential evolutionary biologists who had already picked out this feature of our postmenopausal survival as an important piece that if we knew how to read it, would tell us about our evolution. But it's hard not to wish it wasn't more often the thing that people think of. So maybe more and more people will begin to say, well, okay, that's probably wrong, but let's at least have it on the table. And I think that's the way things move forward. Just came into my head. This musical Hamilton, Lin-Manuel Miranda, is just amazing. But one of the lines is something about, you know, who lives, who dies, who tells your story or who tells the story. And I think about so much about what we know about the history of ideas and how really good ideas just get forgotten. Mary Jane West Eberhardt, who is a brilliant evolutionary biologist, has just done absolutely incredible things. She talks about what she calls the 30-year amnesia cycle, that people just get on the edge of really figuring it out. And then, I don't know, it sort of goes away and people go off in other directions and then <laughs> it takes decades for them yeah. to come back to it. I have a different hypothesis to our for you as, as, as we end, which is that as grandmothers have more and more visibility, more of a voice, take front and center as they ought to in so many different places and spaces that the grandmother hypothesis will take root. So I, I offer you that <laughs> as, a, as a closing thought. Oh, well, I applaud that prediction. Oh, yes. Well, it's Thank certainly, you, Alana. It certainly delights a lot of us. <laughs> and you've given us something to hold on to and to celebrate it. I thank you so much. This is been extraordinarily instructive and interesting. Oh, thank you, Alana. And to all the wonderful grandmothers that you talk to. Thanks for listening. I'm Ilana Landsberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move. If you want to find out more about me or the podcast, go to grandmothersonthemove.com and come back next week for another episode.